Thank you for checking out this resource from Grace Chapel in Skinny Atlas, New York. If you'd like to find more like this, or you'd like to learn a little bit more about our church, you can do so by going to gconline.org. And now let's jump into this week's message. I want to begin today by talking about the reason why we come, why we're here, what the purpose for these moments are. Every week we gather, we come in, we enjoy some singing, we enjoy a message, we enjoy each other, but what's the purpose? The purpose underneath all of that is that God would be actively transforming us into the image of Jesus. That we want to look different when we leave here. That we want God to stir us in a way that he identifies some things that we, we say, oh, you know what? God, that's, that's it. I need to work on that. There's a truth that either God is transforming you or the world is deforming you. But you're being shaped by something or someone. Don't underestimate that. I would cause us to pause and say, just ask a good question and just sit in this for a moment. Where is God actively shaping you? How is he actively shaping you in your life right now? Where is that? What does it look like? Man, these are, these are questions we need to take some time and, and work with. Maybe even ask a different question. Is God shaping you? You know, it's, it's interesting, but it's true that I, I believe that there's no neutral when it comes to this. I don't think that we're in the middle. We're always being shaped by someone or something, and that's what we talk about transformation all the time. Scripture talks about transformation, but transformation is that God, through his power of the Spirit, the truth of his word, is shaping us into the likeness of Jesus. That's what it's about. So I'm going to start with a story this morning that ties into the message. Many of you don't know about my family because I don't share a whole lot other than funny things that happen now and again at their expense. Um, but I'll share with you a little bit. We have four kids. The two oldest, they range from 24 to 30. The two oldest... They live in, well, they work near Philadelphia, just outside of Philadelphia, for a wealth management company. They're quite successful. The third in line is our daughter. Our daughter is pursuing a career in actuarial science, which is... It's like statistics on steroids. I walked in her room once just to see what was happening so if daddy could help. Daddy ain't helping. That's all I can say. Our youngest, her and our youngest moved this last fall to Florida. They live together. 
Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes. No, it is a good thing. But they're working on, you know, how do, how do you live together in, in this? But our youngest um, went and he turned pro as a golfer to pursue his dreams. So he's down there struggling, trying to make it. And I tell you all that because a lot of times what happens is in life, even with our kids, we spend a lot of time or we tend to spend a lot of time talking about what they're accomplishing, what they're achieving, how they're successful. We try to set them up. We try to point them in the right direction. And and sometimes we want to celebrate success. Oftentimes throughout each one of their lives, we've taken moments, even as recently as the last couple weeks, taken moments and paused and said this, it's not what you're accomplishing that is most important. It's who you're becoming. I want you to hear that. It's not what you're accomplishing that's most important. Does it not matter? No, it matters. But it's who you are becoming. And we don't talk about that. And today we're going to. We're going to talk about that. And ask yourself that question. Who am I becoming? I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in 1 John. We've been in this book. There's three verses that I just wanted to park on for a few minutes here as John talks about an important subject related to this, who we are becoming. And it's found in 1 John chapter 2, and we'll read through verses 15 through verse 17. And he says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Today I want to talk to you about this, and I want to look at what John says talking about transformation, about how we're being shaped and who's shaping us. And the first thing that John says, which is powerful, there's there's only a few commands actually in the entire book. This is one of them. And he says, don't, don't love the world. Not you shouldn't. He says, don't do it. Just don't don't love the world. Why? Because the love of the Father will not be in you. You cannot love the world and the Father simultaneously. It can't happen. Some people go, well, maybe it could. Reminds me a little bit of, you know, you look at all the statistics related to those who win the lottery. And I mean, their lives fall apart. We think that, and we still have millions of people going and, and, you know, playing the lottery, and yet do just a little research and find out. I mean, people, some people commit suicide, they, and, and yet they gained it all, right? But this is what I say. 
Lord, let me try. Let me try, because I think I can be different. Lord, if I won the lottery, just bless a lot of people, all would be good. I would change this, this statistic, right? And we tend to have that idea in our head that this is true for some people, but I can live one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. One foot for God, I can love him and love the world at the same time. It's impossible. He doesn't say you shouldn't, just, he says you, you can't. You can't do it. When he talks about, Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter six about God and, and money. He says you can't love God and money at the same time. Here, John echoes that, and he says you can't love the Father and love the world at the same time. I want you to hear this. Worldliness at its core is a matter of the heart. It's your heart. If your heart is captured by the world, you will love the things of the world. If your heart is captured by God, you will love the things of God. The challenge with worldliness is this, is that you don't have to look for it. You don't have to search for it. It's looking for you. It's all around us. You know, I think with social media and the internet and all of that, the world is just even more actively engaged in shaping Christians. I expect people in the world to be shaped like the world. But Christians often look very similar to the world. And although I say social media and the internet and all of this, John's speaking to a group of believers in a church they didn't have either. And he's saying, that's how powerful it is. You have to take notice. Worldliness is a problem in the church for believers because at its core, it's a matter of the heart. And John throws it down, man. He says, you can't have it both ways. But in religious circles, we figured it out. We thought, you know what we can do is we can, we can remedy this by putting in a bunch of rules. And, and we'll just, you know, put a bunch of rules there to align us more in the direction of God. And Paul says this, no, you, you, that doesn't work. He, let me read this. He says in Colossians chapter two, verse 23, in, in reference to man-made rules, he says, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. I grew up in, a, in fundamentalist circles, very legalistic, very rules-oriented. We had rules for rules. You know, it's one of those things. I'll tell you a quick story just to give you some sense. I went to a small Christian school, and these Christian schools competed in a national competition. We went to this national competition. I remember walking in, getting off the bus, excited about competing in some of the athletic events. And, 
and when I got off the bus, they had somebody there to check the length of your hair. And um, when I got off the bus, one of those guys said, your hair is too long. Now, you got to understand, Brother Matt, <laughs> he didn't live in my generation. If your hair was touching your ears, it was seen as being sinful, wrong, not good, not appropriate. So he said, you need to go get your hair cut. Needless to say, I went and got my hair cut and I came back and he measured it again, kind of looked at it and said, it's still touching. I said, oh, really? Well, let me go get it cut again. I got it cut three times. And then something amazing happened. I didn't realize, but when you get it cut three times so it doesn't touch your ear and you have white walls, right, <laughs> here, that something incredible happens. You start growing wings. I became so spiritual. I was like, I was somewhat like an angel. You know, I felt very angelic. That's what happened. My hair wasn't touching my ears, and I was like, oh. You know, what in the name of Christianity are we doing? When we believe that that's the measurement of spirituality and, and religion, we have to understand that God says, it's not these behaviors that you're abasing yourself to. It's this idea of the love, the affection of your heart. If we get that right, everything takes its proper place. So let me talk to you about those three things. How this battle is fought. It's really a battle of desire. It talks about the three areas. Desire of the flesh, desire of the eyes, pride of life. Three things. We see them evidenced all the way in the garden, right? Eve. The fruit. Pleasant to the eyes, desired to be eaten, and also the wisdom that she would get. You have all three, desire of the flesh, desire of the eyes, pride of life. Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, he's in the wilderness, being tempted of the devil. What's the devil say? Cast the, these stones, make them into to bread. Desire of the flesh. He then says, I'll take you and I'll show you the kingdoms of the world, I'll give them to you. Desire the eyes. Takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, and on the pinnacle of the temple, he says, cast yourself off, and your, your angels will come and gird you up, which was absolutely true. The pride of life. And we see that Satan's tactics have not changed. They will be the same in your life. It will be the desire of your flesh the desire of your eyes and the pride of life. So let me just press into them real brief. Desire of your flesh. Desire really, it talks about a strong impulse, an affection towards something. Flesh refers to this, our fallen nature, which, which is not removed at salvation. And we have a lot of natural desires that God instilled, which are not wrong. But when taken outside the boundaries that God established for them are wrong. Right? So we have the desire for food. I enjoy that one. You enjoy that? 
I like some good food. But the truth is, food also is a natural desire of our flesh, but can also be used in a, a wrong way. That we can indulge in it. It's an impulse and indulgent. When it starts having my mind all the time, and it's, I end up really in this point of gluttony, then I'm in a bad place. Desire of the flesh. We have to understand the desires for food, success, sex, security, when kept within the boundaries God has established, are good. Use the one, I'll even just talk about sex for a minute, because everybody's like, I think it gets such a bad rap um, within Christian circles. God designed it. He created it. It has a beautiful purpose. And yet, he says, taken outside the boundaries, it becomes immorality. In the boundaries is a beautiful creation of God. This is what he desires. It's what he's designed. So we look at all of that and we see that there are impulses that pull our flesh in. I don't care if it's sex, whether it's pornography, whether it's addiction, whether it's food, whether it's um, status, it's all of those things that just appeal to our flesh that we're drawn to. Outside the boundaries that God has established, they become sinful. They begin shaping us, who we are. Then there's the desire of the eyes. The term really talks about greed, envy, to want that which you do not have or that which others have. You ever been there? Of course you have. I have too. We've all been there. You ever go, oh, man, I wish I had that. Man, that would be nice. We've all been in those places. It's the fact that they can't capture our heart. We have to bring them in submission. Those are desires that we have. It's how do we regulate them? They have to be under the submission of Christ. Crazy thing about the desire of the eyes is this. They tell you if, you if you have this, you'll be happier and more satisfied. That's why we desire it. We're like, oh man, latest computer, latest phone, nicest car, biggest house, greatest vacation. You know, you can just go keep going, right? If I only had that. Listen, if you only had that, you still will not be fulfilled and satisfied. You will not, it will not bring you happiness. It's a liar. It's a deceiver. The evil one takes those things that naturally are desires of ours and uses them to entice us, to bring us into the bondage of this world. The third one is the pride of life. While the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes refer to that which we do not have, the pride of life refers to that which we have. And we see ourselves as superior. We see ourselves as someone special above other people. And we want to achieve things. We want to attain things. We want Junior to do whatever Junior can do in sports and the arts and all of this other stuff, right? But we need to make sure that we're not worshiping a gift or an ability. 
I want you to hear this, and I've said this many times to my kids. What you have is a gift. God gave you the gift, whether it's athletic, whether it's intellectual, whether it's conversational. I don't know what it is, but whatever you have is a gift from God. You can use it for his glory or you can use it in this world and see yourself as better and greater than those around you. You can allow pride to capture your heart. And I'll guarantee you when pride captures your heart, the love of the Father is not there. So how do we win the battle? I'll give you a Three things as we just wrap this up. Three things that I think are important. One is cultivate your love relationship with God. Cultivate it. There's an old Scottish preacher that said this. The only thing powerful enough to drive out the love of the world is our new love for the Father. But I, I'll just liken it to marriage for a moment. Some of the most special days are when two people are pursuing each other. You know when that happens? It's usually when you're dating. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, we're trying to be the best for each other and all of that. We get up there and we say, I do, you're amazing. And then you're married. Hey, babe. Another day. You know, and uh, oftentimes what happens is we don't work on marriage. Heck no, because we don't have to. We're married. You have to work while you're dating because you're not married. Right? And this whole idea is that I get to this point and then I'm, I'm good. You're not good. You see, a healthy and a happy marriage is a marriage that is invested into. Many years ago, we made a commitment that my wife and I, we set one time aside every week just for us. She's broken it a few times, but no. <laughs> I just had to have a little fun. The truth is, we, we still hold to that. And that's important for us because we have to nurture what we expect to be good. And people expect their relationship with God to be good, but they're not doing anything to nurture it. You're walking through life, it's like, man, I'm going to be walking into something bad. Hello, God, I need you. Now, the rest of my life, I really haven't needed you. No, that's what happens. We, we like call on him in desperation, which is fine. But if you want to nurture your relationship with God, you got to work at it. I'll give you one example of how to do it. Some of you today, best thing you could do for the next 30 days, open up your Bible and read for a few minutes, read his word. Start in the book of John, you open that up and let God begin to speak to you because you're gonna nurture your relationship with God. You go, man, that's radical. Darn right. You want a good relationship with God? Nurture it. Nurture it. I would dare ask yourself, this question, how am I growing my love for God? How am I doing it? 
If you don't know how to answer that question, then you need to put a stake in the ground and go, God, I need to start nurturing my relationship with you. I need to start working at this so I can listen to you, so I can hear from you, so that we can grow in an understanding of your goodness, your mercy, your grace. Second one is this, not just cultivate your love relationship with God, but evaluate the condition of your heart. I say it's sometimes like what happens at the end of summer. You open up your garage and you're like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna pull my cars in there. No, you're not. Ain't happening. I haven't found anybody yet, except there's a couple people that, you know, they got it all together. Um, but most people, you open the garage doors, it's packed full of all kinds of stuff. You're like, how did that get there? Blame somebody else. It's the kids, the dog. Don't blame your wife. Um, you know, and so you, you look in there and you're like, wow, how did this happen? I'm telling you, look in your heart. Look in your heart and see what's there. Evaluate it and ask this. Am I longing for the things of God or am I longing for the things of this world? Am I pursuing the things of this world or am I pursuing the things of God? What is the battle raging? Is it the desire of the flesh in your life? Is it the desire of your eyes in your life? Is it the pride of life? The last thing, I, and this is, this is so good, so good. John takes me a half hour to talk about what he said in three verses. Makes no sense. But let me, uh, let me share his last statement. The last sentence. This is critical. Listen to what he says. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we need to cultivate our relation, love relationship with God. We need to evaluate the condition of our heart. But the last thing is this, we need to invest in the things that last. Let's just put it in perspective, because man, I've been in church all my life and I heard people like pastors say, Invest in the eternal. I'm like, snoozer. You know, I have no idea what he's saying, whatever. Let me put it in perspective for you. Would you take your life savings and you would invest it in a company you know is going bankrupt? Would you do it? If you would, there are many other churches that maybe you should have, no. Um, no, the average person, they, they, you say, of course I wouldn't do that. That would be stupid. But people here in humanity, what we do is we end up investing all of our time, all of our efforts, all of our energy, all of our resources in the things of this world, and it's going bankrupt. And he says, do this, invest in the things of heaven, invest in what's eternal. Not just you will be saved, but everything that you do for the kingdom is eternal. 
Jesus said it this way, lay up yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. We need to understand that principle. How am I investing in what's eternal? Wow. I love, I love this book. I love God's word. But I'm not gonna lie, it's challenging. So I'll leave you with these two thoughts. Worldliness has less to do about with your actions as it does your heart. Open your garage door and look. What's in there? What's going on? Is there something that maybe there's a desire of the flesh, a desire of the eyes or the pride of life, something in there that you just need to lay down? I think the great deception in our world is this, that sometimes we, we look at all of these sinful things and we say, well, it's like, uh, you know, all of these evil people out there doing these really bad things. And the deception is this, that sometimes our desire for success is just as bad. It consumes us. That we, we idolize it when I achieve this somehow. Man, thank you, Jesus. We better thank Jesus before. So be careful that it's not about accomplishment, it's about our heart. Because this world is going bankrupt. So just take a moment, think about these things. We're gonna sing a song, it's cool, it's called Gratitude. Really talking about a posture of our heart to thank, thank the Lord. But this, the song also gives us opportunity. And I, I'm, I'm just gonna say this. If God's stirring in your heart, man, do business with him. Do business with him. Don't let this just be in every other week, you know, just like every other week, no. Put a stake in the ground today. Let this be a moment that God works powerfully in your life of something either you're laying down or something you're picking up. You say, God, I'm not content just allowing the world to shape me. I need to be intentional about allowing you. And the power of your spirit, the truth of your word, people around me to shape who I am. So as God speaks to you, please feel free to come. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing. So Father, thanks for this morning. I'm convinced in life there is no neutral. We are either being shaped by this world or we're being shaped by you. It is one or the other. And God, what a beautiful statement by John today. You can't love both. So God, would you purify our love for you? Would you help us do the hard work and look inside and lay down what we need to lay down and pick up what we need to pick up? Because it's the eternal things that really matter. God, help us not put all of our energies and resources in the things of this world. We give you glory in this place. Do your good work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.